The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Saturday, 23rd of May. The Fujicast. Hello, welcome to the Fujicast. At the weekend, today being a Saturday, it's a, a special guest day. Next week, Mullins talks to Bert Stefani. Although I was saying it the wrong way. How do you say it, Kev? Bert Stefani. <laughs> The Fujifilm X photographer. But today, we're going to talk with Leonard Neumann, the South African photojournalist who's, who's plied his storytelling craft now on three continents. And he's a big fan, Kev, of a photographer that you particularly like uh, called James Revillius. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, he's a massive fan of James. But um, so, yeah, that's what we're, we're, we're going to be talking about um, today with our, our very, very special guest. That's Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry. Hold on, Kev. Hold on, hold on. Oh, what's that flying in? Oh, no, that's disgusting. Oh, it's on the desk. Oh, she sent you something, hasn't she? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, what it is... It was enormous, I tell you. That's horrible. What is that? <laughs> You're probably thinking, what are they talking about? What was that noise? That noise, by the way, is not, is not what we're just about to talk about. That was the famous helicopter um, beetle. I couldn't find the beetle noise that I needed for this particular one. It's the only one I could find. Last night, Kev, what, what sort of time was it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, got, I, got, I got a picture quite late from, from, um, from your wife. It was about midnight, quarter to midnight, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Gemma had just gone to bed. I was I was sorting the dogs out, and uh, I followed her up. And there was, <laughs> well, <laughs> so we used to have a tree in our garden that every year, around about this time, would get infested with maybugs. And maybugs are massive. I mean, they're as big as my head, and they're, <laughs> they're solid. They're they're indestructible. They're like those cockroach things. Mm. And they would fly at me in the garden, and they they fly into my head. Right. They, they really hurt. Right. So. Uh, in order to deal with that, I cut the tree down. <laughs> what, and because of this beetle? It, it, oh, they're horrible. So it, the tree went, and so did the fly, so did those bugs, until mm. last night. And <laughs> one came in through the bedroom window like a... It was, honestly, it was like a horse came through the window <laughs> like a galloping horse, oh, landed dear. on the bed. Uh, I screamed. Uh, I went downstairs, told Arby he was sleeping with Gemma, and I went and slept in his bed. I oh, know. You let your wife sleep with, with is the actual name of the. Uh, oh, what have I got? I've got a message coming in. Uh, hold on. <laughs> da, 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 uh, oh, yeah, no, she's just. Yeah, yeah. She said, um, he made me sleep in the Beetle Room. And yeah, so look, she, she's listening to this. Be careful because she's joining in. <laughs> Honestly, they, these things are huge, and I, I can't I can't deal with things like that. Do so you know that the real name for it is a cockchaffer? A cockchaffer? Yeah. God, that sounds even worse. Yeah, mate. Well, yeah, I, I was going. Well, I I, I wasn't I sure. I didn't want to sleep in bed with it. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether you'd recognised it because I was going to say, was it a familiar beetle with a black th- uh, thorax, rusty brown wing cases, and brown legs, and characteristic antennae that fan out, or was it uh, the the hemolymph? Uh, where the beetle's entire body contains the most poisonous animal uh, contact toxin in the world called pederin, which is 12 times more poisonous than cobra venom. I'm sure, oh, you'd, have cho- I'm, I'm sure you'd have chosen it was probably the second one, but um, it, it, the first one, the cockchaffer, or the maybug, um, is, is actually harmless, Kev. There's nothing... No, in- not when it hits you on the head, it's not. 
you can't do yeah. anything to. They fly at me like some kind of they, like some kind of kids game. People throw them at me. Horrible they, things. They grow to thirty millimeters, Kev. They're not that large. No, this one was huge. It was as big <laughs> as my hand. Okay. Oh dear. Bigger. I'm going to put you down there in the. Can't believe you played rugby pile. <laughs> Nothing's safe in your house anymore. I get a report on it straight away from your wife. Yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> anyway, should we have a quick question? Then we'll go into today's uh, interview. One from em- a friend of the show, Emily Rainier. Um, first of all, another massive thank you, chaps, for the last thousands of episodes. It does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? I can't mm. tell you what a difference it's made over the last couple of months. I'd spent the last two years working my bottom off trying to get my wedding, family and birth photography business going alongside another day job. Mm. And COVID, well, that came in and truly bamboozled all my efforts to date. Still, same or worse for so many photographers out there. So we're, we're indeed in the same boat. But your dailies have uh, lifted my spirits. So she has a couple of questions. Number one, at which point do you think it's OK to start advertising for outdoor work again? I only shoot documentaries, so home sessions, no go for now. Uh, it's just that when I see local businesses propping up on my Facebook feed saying they're reopening, I can't help but feel it's all going back to normal a bit too soon. Last thing I want to do is give my potential customers the impression that getting back to work for me is more important than their safety. I haven't been too uh, keen on the doorstep initiative. I'll ask you about that in a, a second, Kev. As the mm-hmm. idea of doing post-portraits gives me the heebie-deebie-deebies. What do you think, though? When, when can I start advertising? For outdoor well, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because the message is quite confusing from the government, uh, you know, from old Boris and his team in that, and, uh, you know, I'm not, not mocking them because it's, they can't possibly be, it's the first time anybody's ever had to do this. So I'm sure they're doing their best. But the message was quite confusing, you know, along the lines of, you know, if you can, if you can work at home, work at home. If you can't, you know, go to work. And, you know, but don't go outside and, you know, don't don't mix with people that you don't know and all that kind of stuff. And and that kind of left a lot of businesses like ours in limbo, as in, well, does that mean we can go and do photographs outside? Mm. Does it, you know, what, what does it mean? There's no, and of course, they can't legislate for every single type of business. They're not going to sit there and do daily briefings and say, no, no. right, number one, photographers, this is what you can do. Dentists, this is what you can do. Chiropodists, this is what you can do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Other jobs do apply. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, ultimately, I'm just waiting for a little bit more clarification. I, yeah. I agree with Emily. People do seem to, there's a lot of shops and clothes shops and everything are just going, ah, we're just going to open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and, and, and that, there seems to be a lot of that going on. The government don't seem to be saying, don't do that. So is that normal? Is that right? I, you know, who knows? I, I suspect that the government, and I'm, you know, I'm saying this with all my fingers crossed and touching wood and all that kind of stuff. I suspect the government feel that we're, we're over the worst of it. And, mm. Uh, you know, we do have to get going again. So maybe this is the, without them saying, you know, I suppose maybe what they're doing is opening the gates of the, uh, of the, uh, of the shed with all the horses inside, but not slapping the horses on the butt and telling them to run out. You know, they're letting the horses find their own way out of this open door. I like your uh, metaphors. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That wasn't it. I was that quite was impressed. Very good, with that. Yeah. Well, I couldn't think of the words for where do horses stay? What would you call that? A stable. Barn? A stable. Yeah. Stable. Yeah. yeah. Stable. Even. Yeah. yeah. It was good apart from that uh, glaring um, emission. But <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Emily. I, I, whatever you feel comfortable with, I suppose ultimately is the thing at the mm. moment. How are you doing with the... Have you done some doorstep portraits yet? No, we're starting this week because oh, right. on that point, we um, I didn't want to kind of jump the bullet and 
jobs <laughs> gun and you know start doing this project oh, yeah. without the the guidance of the the council and everything and, and up until this week it was certainly a case of you know you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be standing on people's doorsteps and taking pictures because yeah. uh, we spoke to them and that was their guidance but but that's presumably relaxed because the mm. charity we're speaking to have said that they've spoke to the council and it's fine as long as we're socially distanced etc yeah. so yeah hopefully this coming week we'll start um and uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna tread the streets of malmesbury take some doorstep photos do the good people of malmesbury know you're on the way kev yeah, well, we set up a page, and um, Jessica, who's an old wedding client of mine, in fact, from years and years and years ago, is kind of uh, taking the reins on that, and so she's going to organise the routes and all that kind of stuff, and we're, we're just going to do it. We're going to stick the pictures online. People can have the digital pictures, of course, no charge or anything like that, but if they want, they can make a donation to the local food bank. Well, and that's it it's not it's not about making money it's about you know community community spirit it is um emily as well thank you very much for your question um about the the interviewing she said some nice things about the interviewing that's happened on the show yada 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 i'll, I'll do the yada 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 on that one but she said what do you like when you get back inside the house neil after doing your interviews um <laughs> uh, after you spend all those hours prepping asking and listening is your listening still good enough or do you say sam talk to the hand my ears are knackered I can, I can personally, this is Emily's words, she says, I can personally only cope with 30 seconds of my husband telling me about his working day before I start thinking about uh, needing to hang out the washing. <laughs> so what's it like when you spend your workday listening? I've got to admit, Emily, I'm dreadful when I get back to that house. And sometimes it is, you know, give me some silence. But you like your silence as well, don't you? Yeah, I'm good in my own company for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I do, Gemma, Gemma listens to the podcast yeah, as you know, all the way through, and she de- she she kind of draws up a list of all of the things that I said wrong or made oh, no, mistakes. Or, no. You sounded like a right idiot when you said that that kind of thing. <laughs> do you listen have, to that? Have yeah. many conversations. Do, do, <laughs> do, you, do you listen to it or do you argue about that? She'll say, "She'll say it's a stable, you stupid boy. It's a stable." <laughs> I knew, I knew that Mullins. Why did? Yeah, I can hear her. I yes, I can hear her. Anyway, look, let's do uh, today's uh, today's in, in, interview. Let's uh, meet uh, Leonard Neumann. He's uh, a tremendously talented uh, observer of people, and I know that as we go through this interview, you're going to be scribbling like mad because he mentions an awful lot of photography names. Don't worry, don't do that. Just listen because um, what we'll do is we'll put all these names in the show notes uh, with, with some website uh, links so that you can go and devour their work uh, a little bit later on. So let me introduce you to you the, the amazing uh, photographer called Leonard Neumann. So, Leonard, 50 years of observing and photographing everyday life in South Africa and the States and France and England, we couldn't begin to do that complete justice in a relatively modest-sized interview, but I am intrigued to know the very roots of your photography before we go further where, where did it all start why and why the style of photography as an observation what inspired you you know what i probably the thing that most inspired me was um that book that came out uh, the family of man mm. and i uh, you know i can vivid even at 68 years old i can vividly remember seeing that book about 60 years ago and paging through it and seeing the um, the beauty of it not only like the margaret burke white and the, and all the great names but the unknown photographers you know it, it just opened up a whole new world to me that photography was more than just happy snaps pictures mm-hmm. at the beach and so on 
And um, I think what I also got from that, for me, there always had to be, and I'm sure that you've looked at my work and looked mm -hmm. at my website. Well, I have, yeah. There have to be, I would say, 99% of the images that I've taken have had people or dogs in them. <laughs> yeah. I like to um, walk the streets and 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 just and see the theatre and the magic that's in front of one every day. It's this thing about dogs as well. I mean, Elliot Irwin obviously has a thing for dogs. It and you on your website you you actually have its its own section devoted to dogs. Yes, and 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 I don't, if you looked at it sort of uh, deeply, you'd notice that there, there are no photographs or portraits of dogs. Primarily, they're just dogs in in yeah. everyday life. That's I right. Mean, yeah. the, the picture of the the man on Goldborn Road sitting in his truck yeah. with a dog in the background, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fellow in Paris talking to his dog outside of um, you know Cafe de Flore. Um, funny that you should have mentioned Elliot Owitt. The iPad is propped up on Elliot Irwitz's <laughs> dogs. <laughs> a huge, I'm a huge fan of Elliot Irwitz. In fact, uh, I did go on a course uh, in New York many, many years ago, and he was one of the speakers. Wow. Uh, was quite, a, quite enlightening and very funny indeed. Tell me about your dad, because it was his Leica 3 that you inherited, wasn't it? You know, I must be honest with you, it was my dad's Leica 3, and prior to that, it was, it was a, a camera, a little bellows camera called an Exacta, also a 35. But my dad wasn't a photographer at all, other than, as I said, photographs uh, at the beach and a couple of family snaps. He just happened to, I, I don't even know how he came across that Leica. I think it was given to him by a friend um, who didn't use it. But it was a 3C, and I started using that uh, when I was about 14 or 15 because uh, he had passed away then, and, I, you know, I didn't even know that it was that Leica was any different from anything else. But it it, it, it kind of got me going. Well, it, it, started your love affair with that, that camera. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll come absolutely. back. We'll come back to the camera in a short while. So did, did you then start sort of consuming as much um of that style of photography as you possibly could i mean were, were you a great were you a great reader of of um, national geo or or life or, or those kind of publications oh definitely life uh, we did have uh, uh, life uh, we had a subscription to life we had a uh, National Geographic uh, subscription as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, obviously, I mean, I can't say I'm really, co uh, you know, conscious of that early influence, but it it was there, you know, obviously it was there. Mm. Well, let's let's move around the world a little bit before we get to England, because you moved around the world, went from South Africa, you went to, to America. It seemed that you found these sort of new geographic inspirations with each of your moves, such as, I mean, Gary Winogrand in America. It's almost like you, you sort of immerse yourself in their photographic culture. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I, I think uh, when, when I was in America, my style was a lot harder. A lot harder. Um, the streets are harder. The lighter, say, is is, is more contrasty in, in in the big cities because of skyscrapers and stuff like that. And the American photographers in in general are have got a little bit more, I think, like attitude. Gary Winogrand, Leonard Freed, people like that. You know, um, certainly Robert Frank, who's an absolute hero of mm -hmm. mine. Myrowitz, all those guys. 
uh, huge influence on me. Huge. But you, you feel it was a much harder style of photography? Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, and that's interesting because we, um, I spoke to Fran May about her work after moving from Canada to here in the 70s. And, yeah. And she mooted that her work became somewhat darker by experience and where, where there was lots of space and the, and the light. And I know you love the light in America but the light that she had in Canada. Now she was in steel towns, and it was more dour and, and harder. And so she went the other yeah. way. She went the other way to you, funnily enough, whereas it's been mooted that your work became softer when you got to the UK. Oh, absolutely. Um, over here, I mean, I, I find that the English photographers, you know, whether it's conscious or not, there's, um, there's a lot of humour in English photography. I mean, if you have a look at someone like Dafford Jones, who's remarkable. I mean, he speaks a totally different language or Tony Ray Jones or Homer Sykes again, you know, uh, Martin Parr. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a, there's a, always a humorous kind of, I don't know, is it, it could be even, it's humorous, but it's biting at the same time, mm. you know? So your style does change, does it? You see it alter as you, uh, you cross time zones. Yeah, there's yes. absolutely no, no doubt that my style has become a little bit uh, gentler. And in fact, when I send images to some of my friends in, in, in photography back in America, they sort of they say to me, oh, your, your stuff has gotten so much softer. Mm. You know, what happened to you? <laughs> your, edge is, your edge has been knocked off you, oh, you I know. Don't, I don't think you've lost your edge. So in America then, what, what floated your boat, as to use a great British term? Well, you know, I, I, I always lived in, in big cities. So I lived in Boston. I spent a lot of time in New York, and I lived in, uh, in Dallas for many years. I, I was always a photographer, but more as... It was a secondary profession. You know, I had exhibitions. Uh, however, I did have a regular day job in order to pay the rent. Yeah. You know, the streets, um, the, the, the street in New York is, 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 is phenomenal. There's something happening all the time. There's this theater, there's this movie happening in front of you. Mm. Uh, Texas is different. Texas is very different. I am, you can't be out on the street as such. You, you, you have to, for instance, in New York, there's sidewalks and you can walk around. In Dallas, you can't walk around. There are no sidewalks. Mm. You know, um, everybody's house goes directly onto, onto the street, uh, the lawn. So you go, to, you go to places like you go to rodeos and cattle shows and things like that to take photographs. But the, the the street for me in Boston and New York was was the the magic, was, you know. In in terms of the the way you shoot, the style that you shoot, I know that you're you're more of a quality than quantity person, and probably that that's a result of having shot film for you know uh, for all that yeah. time. I don't think you describe yourself as the most prolific worker in terms of of the amount that you have to achieve every time you go out. Well, you know, obviously we're all thriving for that that shot all the time. I think. With film, I was a lot more economical. I mean, a, a roll of Tri-X is six bucks now, and then the processing and all that. So I was I was more focused, I think, than um, when I was shooting film. Now that I'm shooting a lot of digital, I'm as focused, but I'm taking more chances. I try to pretend that when I'm shooting digitally, uh, I'm, I, it's as if I was shooting film. I never look at the, the screen at the back of the camera afterwards. I saved that for later, um, and uh, I am quite disciplined, I must admit. 
Now let, let's travel back from uh, from America to the to the UK over to, to your European moves. What what brought you from America to the UK then? You know, my wife and myself we came out here for a family function. My wife, as I said, I was born in South Africa. Mm. My wife is from Colorado. I met her in Texas. Uh, we came here for a family uh, 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 function, and going back to the airport, she said, I want to live in England. I said, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. And uh, three years later, she had re-graduated as a solicitor from being a lawyer in America, and uh, here we are in London, and we couldn't be happier. It's yeah. fabulous. How long have you been here now? We've been now, now I think, about 14 and a half years. Yeah. So in terms of the Brits then, you'd come from America and the, the, the style of photography that you were talking about in America. And when you came over then, did you think, well, the, these people are more eccentric or is there something about the Brits? Oh, that, well, I'm wondering if it, it, it trained your lens in a different direction. It sounds like it did. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, more than looking at the British people and saying, well, they're more eccentric, I just had to look at, at, at people like Tony Ray Jones and Homer and, uh, you know, uh, Paddy Summerfield, Martin Parr. Yeah. And I think I learned more about the British people from them, from, uh, you know, I'm a voracious reader of photography books. I've probably got five, six hundred here in my house. Word. So uh, I think the live exposure to the British quirkiness, the delightful uh, quirkiness, uh, was preceded by, like, looking at the work of, of Tony Ray Jones and Homer and Daffod Jones and people like that. In a, just to put it into perspective, in New York, you'd see somebody who's slightly off-kilter, slightly quirky, eccentric, and he's, he's crossed the road. Over here, invariably, he's probably your friend or your neighbour, you know. <laughs> the English celebrate that. They celebrate the difference, whereas I think the Americans avoid it. Yeah, there's a name you didn't mention in there, and I know you're a fan of him, James Revillius. Is that down to his sort of mild man? Because, you, you're, I mean, George Coles on your website describes you as charming, and I, I think you've got a, a very generous uh, way. Well, maybe it's a generous of spirit picture-making style that you have, and, and I think James had that, didn't he? Oh, without a doubt. James, his... Um I don't know, did you ever see the, the BBC documentary that uh, Alan Bennett narrated? I think it was called The English Eye. I think I've seen bits of it, yeah, because because yeah. my co-presenter, Kevin, uh, went to interview James's wife. and I'm, I'm, Yes, I'm, I'm reading the yeah. book at the moment. Yeah. Uh, James Revelius is just a, a giant, you know. He's, uh, he deserves way, way more recognition. James will appeal to photographers and, and students of photography, people that have studied the craft. He won't appeal to somebody who's not into photography or pick up a book and say, what is this drab black and white stuff? But mm. it's just the man had the most exquisite, soft, gentle eye out of everybody. I mean, he, he's one of the English greats, without a doubt. And he also managed to find particular characters and follow through with their story, ra yes. ra rather than visit them, um, sort of raid them for the picture and the story and then move on. He, 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 yes. he stuck with the story, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, he, he went back and back and back to, to photograph uh, these people. But, you know, the beauty of for me of James Revillius is that he just had this singular vision i'm going to photograph devon yeah. the people probably within 20 miles of where he lived and he's, he dedicated his life he thoroughly photographed 
them, you know. Yes, there are other James Revillius photographs from outside of Devon, but primarily I would assume that like 80, 85% of the work that he did was all farm and village life in Devon. Mm. Well, he has a very, very familiar style, and, and I know oh. that from having studied his work. What, what, I mean, if you had to describe your style, Leonard, I mean, I've already started, really, charming, generous of spirit, mild-mannered. I mean, ev- even your portraits of rage on your on your website are reasonably gentle in their approach. Um, Did you like that? I, I do, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when, when I saw portraits of rage, I thought, well, that doesn't sound like Leonard. And and, yeah. uh, and actually, if you delve in, I don't want to spoil it because I want people to go and look for themselves. But as, if, as you delve in, you'll find out exactly what I mean. What is your approach? How would you describe your approach? I want to see the best in people, number one. Um, I don't want to take advantage of people. As you say, um, uh, George Coles or uh, Andrew Shaler said, uh, I have a soft touch. A soft. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. I don't, you'll never find a photograph that I've taken of a homeless people, somebody who's fallen through the cracks, somebody who's, you know, um, dependent on, on, on drugs or alcohol. That's not my bag. I want to see the best in them. And I want to see the quirkiness. Yeah. You know, so the, my approach is my approach is very soft. You know, looking around, I mean, London is. I know it's jaded. People say, you know, oh, you go to Portobello Road or you go to Petticoat Lake. I've got some of the most exquisite stuff that I think from these areas. You know, mm. just people in the streets. That's. Um, I don't know if I'd call myself a street photographer, but um, as I say, I just want to be soft. I want to be like I want to be like James Revillius. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one day when I grow up. <laughs> I think you're there, Leonard, really. What makes, yeah, thank a, you. what makes a good picture of the ordinary? I mean, there is this huge following for you know, wide-angle, in-your-face, intrusive stuff. That's not your style. We know that. It's obvious. No. But so, no. so what makes a good picture of the ordinary? I mean, you've mentioned humour. That would definitely be one of them. I would say um, certainly composition. Good tones. Good tones are in um, are very important to me. Now, I used to be, when I was in America, my tones were much harsher. Yeah. Now, I'm more after the sort of the James Revillius type of tones, more, more grays, you know? And do you communicate happily with your with your subjects, or, or do you prefer to sort of phase in and fade in and out of their life? You know, firstly, with the sort of... The, the the loose street stuff um, that's just hanging around and uh, and taking a photograph you know a snap here and there if it's a portrait um, invariably I will I will ask a, a street portrait um, I will say to someone um, would you mind if I took a photograph and if they say to me yes great I, I shoot one or if they say to me no then I walk on you know I am. Uh, however, if they say to me yes, and this is a trick that um, I'm sure a lot of people do, um, is that I'll once I've got their permission, I'll pretend to take a photograph or I'll take a photograph, and then invariably their guard will come down, and that's when you get the tr- the true street portrait. You know, yeah. when the when the person feels at ease, it's a, that second shot or that third shot. So let's look in uh, Leonard Neumann's camera bag for a moment. I often get reminded I should ask a little bit more about Kit, and you've been very faithful to your your trusty likers, I know, but it's not something you obsess about. I I read that you don't really hoard Kit, and 
I, I'm unlikely to find shelf loads of cameras with with, with, all, with all those books you own. There probably isn't room anywhere. What, what, what do you have? The only Leica that I have uh, left, I have a broken M3 that's lying in some place in America oh. and an M6. Yeah. Um, the others I got, uh, uh, the um, early digital ones I kind of got rid of. Um, you know, today, as I know that you're, you're fond of Fuji cameras, and I've, I've got a couple of these Fujis. I've got a, a one which is a, an X100, which I bought okay. for 80, doll, 80 pounds over here. I mean, the thing is remarkable. It's absolutely incredible. I have a an X Pro One again, uh, cheapest chips now because there are a lot of people today who they just they always want the latest stuff. Makes you know, sense, yeah. believe me, I, anything more than twelve megapixels for what I the kind of work that I do is is wasted. Quite frankly, we well, you know the fascinating thing is um, when the X One Hundred came out. Um, my my mother had passed away and left left some money. Um, I think these uh, two time periods um, coincide. I'm sure they do. I bought myself a Leica M8 because I thought, well, yeah. it's the kind of thing I'm, I I wouldn't necessarily have gone out to purchase. I was a Canon shooter at that time anyway, really. Uh-huh. And I thought I've always wanted a Leica, and the M8 was the was the camera. I, I when when I compared it to the X100, it wasn't as good as a sensor, or but there was a feeling of using it, and I'm not sure if that's an over romanticised feeling. But if if I if I took that brand from you, what would happen to your photography? That's a that's an interesting one. I think it would. I mean, if you took away a small camera, if you could reframe, you took away a small camera like an M6, like an X100 and X Pro One, and and put a, a a big Canon or a big Nikon or something in my hands, uh, I I think I would I would lose my touch somewhat. Mm. Why? Because it's cumbersome. Uh, it's it's people would notice it. Um, you know, I can take this little X100 and put it in F8 and get a, a halfway decent reading off of the ground, you know, uh, what shutter speed it should be. And I can go and I, and, and just mingle. And um, whereas I'd have, um, and, and take images, but I'd have a huge problem doing that with a, with a, with yeah. a big fat Nikon. Although I do have a Mamiya uh, 7, which is a rangefinder, yeah. medium format, which I do love shooting with. It's, it's a couple of years since a uh, lens less ordinary, which was your uh, your Leica um, store uh, exhibition. Yes. Are you are you yeah. st- are you st- um, are you a printer still? You know, not anymore. Uh, when we left America, I um, I gave the darkroom to the high school across the street from where we lived. I've hired a darkroom over here on a couple of occasions, but it doesn't work out. Um, economically um if i do need a uh, if i have somebody uh, who needs a silver print there's a lady uh, barbara wilson that i use mm-hmm. but primarily now you know i'm scanning my my old eggs and um uh, obviously a lot of regular digital but uh, i'm not printing anymore i do do my own photoshop work mm. and i use photoshop not lightroom I uh, because I started on early Photoshop and I'm I'm just quite familiar with it. too. you know my my workflow is very simple. What, you what, know. what is it then? What what is your workflow? I'm intrigued. Basically, in raw, uh, you know, I'll 
if if it's a color image from let's say from the Fuji or, or whatever, uh, I'll go into RAW. Um, I'll go pretty much into automatic or you know, and then I'll see where where it needs to to go. Like I, it's my you know I might add a little bit of black, uh, you know, boost the highlights, and then I just go into Photoshop. I'll convert into uh, to gray, or I'll sometimes use this uh, silver effects. People say to me, "You're mad. It's not mm. pure," and that. it's wonderful. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's very simple. I find with Photoshop, you know, it's like cooking, I guess. You can keep adding and keep adding a spice and a herb and a this and a that, and eventually you mess it up. You know, I once spoke with a fellow in South Africa who's a Photoshop printer for all the great South African photographers. He does all the digital. And he he made a very, very valid statement to me. I went to ask him, you know, a couple of questions. He says, when you think you have it right, back off 5%. I went to a gallery once over here, and the guys, I was looking at a picture, and the, the, the owner of the gallery came up to me and said to me, have you ever seen a blue sky like this? It was like a lapis blue. Yeah. Have you ever seen? I said, no, and that's the problem. <laughs> you know? it's, uh, I think people just do too much in, in Photoshop, especially with color stuff. And, and black and white, I think you can overdo it. Yeah. As I said earlier, I'm holding back a bit more. The, the, the James Revillius type uh, tones, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know that guy, Adams. I think his name is Robert Adams. a new topography photography mm. out of Colorado. Mm. The tones were just nice and gentle. Now, listen, I mean, there are some photographs um, that demand harshness. But overall, I mean, I just see these things that, you know, uh, it's it's too forced for me. Yeah, I think I think the harshness is also how you mentally feel about, um, and, and I use that word, um, carefully as well because um listeners to this show will be well aware of my absolute love affair with the the photography of don mccullin um oh and, 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 but but not not ju- i'm not just talking about obviously the well the obvious stuff and the, the, the time he spent worn and also this is england all those amazing pictures shot in this country but i keep coming back to his latest work the landscape work which is very dark very dramatic and, yeah. and is a statement of, of him in every way, shape and form, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Don McCullum, uh, you know, he wrote the book. Uh, you know, the, when it comes to that, uh, especially the conflict photography, there's Don McCullum and then there's everybody else. I, yeah. I mean, the yeah. guys is a completely different level. Yeah. Those dark, heavy, inky prints. Uh, I'm sure you saw this, the stuff at the, at the Tate. Oh, I absolutely did, yeah. It, I mean, it, it suited the work. Yeah, yeah, some people didn't like uh, that. For me, it's it suits. I mean, look at the look at the subject matter. I mean, war war is dark, you know. Um, so, but then, the, of course, the landscapes they they're moody, they're cloudy. You know, if you had to have sort of Ansel Adams type tones in in that work, I don't think it would work. Quite frankly, you know, I think that 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 black inkiness is 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 wonderful in his work. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Leonard. I don't feel oh, I, I, I don't feel I know you well enough yet to call you Lenny. Although I know that in, in all your PR it says Leonard Lenny Neumann. But yeah. I, I do want to know when the next exhibition is. I don't know. I wish I've, I. I would have thought that right now, during this uh, terrible time that uh, we're all going through, the entire world would have mm. given me a chance to um, maybe. Um, 
you know, go through my archives, see what I've got. You know, I need something different. Um, you know, I've had the, um, the one at the, the Leica Gallery That's over right. here yeah. in, in town, which was, uh, um, it really went wonderf wonderfully. Um, I've had an exhibition of, in, 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 the, in Dallas with cowboys. I've got to go through and find, I've, I, I am working on something and I've been working on it for a long time that's called People in Parks and there's a snippet of it on my website. There is, yes I did, yeah, yeah. And it's another thing that I'm, I'm enamoured with uh, in this country are, are, are parks and people use parks a lot in this time, whether it's on your way walking through the park to the city. I think that might be the the the, the next one that I do. I'm 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 trying to shop it around, uh, but I've got to I've got a lot more editing to do. My thanks to Leonard Neumann for um, for his time uh, with the interview this week. And as I said before, yes, all the links will be on the website, fujicast.co.uk, under this particular episode, uh, so that you can go enjoy the photographers that... Uh, his work, of course, but also the photographers that he talked about. And that's it. Anything else? Anything else uh, today before we, uh, we we disappear? For One last thing. What? One last little bit of housekeeping for all of our uh, friends of the show. Right. You may have seen in the FujiCast Facebook group, uh, those of you that are there, but those of you who aren't there, there is a thing, such a thing, called the British Podcast Awards. <laughs> now, without without encouraging you too much, although secretly we are, uh, it would be amazing if you went to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote, and in there you can vote for your favourite listener's choice award. It doesn't have to be us, of course, it could be any podcast you listen to. Um, although if you vote for another podcast don't ever come back here <laughs> Kev you're not supposed to say that <laughs> yeah you can I checked the T's and C's it says you can be aggressive <laughs> I'm sure it didn't <laughs> BritishPodcastAwards.com forward slash vote you can choose us or the archers I'm voting for the archers <laughs> right tomorrow we have Ask Andreas the return um, so uh, it, it's a very well of course it's a very Fujifilm biased show tomorrow um, but even if you don't shoot Fuji, I think there will be some surprises in there for you. So that's tomorrow's show. See you later, Kev. Bye bye. The Fuji Cast is an independent loading zone production. Goodbye, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. We're back tomorrow with another show. Well, unless we're fired, we'll talk to you then. Goodbye, sweetheart. Goodbye. Goodbye.